the Gospel of John. We're returning to our series on the Gospel of John that will lead us all the way up to Easter this year. It's hard to believe after we've gotten through Christmas that Easter can be so near, or at least be on our thinking. But I want to remind you that as we enter this season, as we prepare for Easter, uh, we're we're following John in the way that you can enjoy this season of, of remembering the salvation that God has accomplished for you through the cross of Christ. And so this morning it is our custom, and, and I invite you to stand with me as we hear God's word, as we read it from John 18, verses 1 through 28. It's rather a long passage, but it is a passage full of the preparation of what Christ would go through for us. Hear now the word of God. And when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Now if you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the word he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. And so Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because the disciples were known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. Aren't you one of the, this man's disciples too? Are, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about the disciples and his teaching. 
I have spoken to you openly to the world, or I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask of those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. In this way, you answer the high priest? The man who struck Jesus demanded. If I say something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him, bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself so that they asked him, you you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? This is the word of God. Let's pray. Have a seat. Have a seat. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father, as we come into your presence and we think about this this passion of Christ, it was for us and for our sins that he, he bore our, our, our sin, our shame. He bore them on the tree. The question we still ask is, why would Jesus, why would you dare die for me? And anyone who is familiar with that work of the cross, anyone cannot stand before you without saying to themselves, God, thank you for showing your mercy and your grace in our lives. And it's for that reason we pray that you would make this meal that we partake in this time in your presence to be enriched with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask and we pray it in Christ's name. And the people of God said together, Amen. Amen. I, uh, I find it quite striking in the days that we live that many people, uh, many people don't think about sacrifice in the way we once did, much less in the way that Jesus get, did. But there are four things I want to talk with you about before we have the Lord's Supper this morning, and Logan is going to lead us through that, that preparation. But there are four things I want to bring to your attention about this passage that really are striking about the whole meaning of Jesus going to the cross for us. The first is, please note that because when Jesus was arrested, it was a perfect time and a perfect place. There was an unexpected confederacy. There was an isolating denial. And finally, there was a biased authority involved. What do I mean by that? Well, the first one, a perfect place, a perfect time. If you go back to the passage and you look at the very beginning... John is very careful to help us understand that what was transpiring was not a surprise to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if, if I could figure out what the stock market's going to do this next week, I really would like to know, wouldn't you? Or if I could know what the lottery number is for the week or month in the, in the future, I would love to know that. But here we are told by John that Jesus knew exactly what was going to transpire. In fact, he orchestrated his life in such a way that it would not be hard for what was to take place to take place. 
What do I mean by that? Well, if you go back to the verse we read in chapter, chapter 18, verse 1, it says, when he had finished praying, what was he praying? Well, I won't go into that, but if you go back, he prayed for you. Did you know that? In the garden, Jesus was praying for you as believers in him in the year 2023. It raises curiosity, doesn't it? You want me to go back and preach on that? Can you give me another hour? The interesting part is that after that prayer was over and Jesus knowing the challenges that you would face as a follower of Christ in our day after he had prayed that prayer, John goes on and says, he left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. And it says, now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met with his disciples there. It was the perfect time. It was the perfect place. Well, we, we know about valleys around here. When I, when I head up north on 21 and I get up by across where the new police station is, if you look to the left, there was a huge cauldron, a, a valley there that was filled in with coal ash. And, and, and it, it literally borders now what is Brawley School Road. But that whole area was a deep ravine. Well, the Kidron Valley was even much, much deeper than that. It was, a, it was a valley that ran along the city of Jerusalem. And as the water would rain and come to the land, it would all funnel into this place that was dry as bones. But when the water and the rainy season came, it would literally be a flood of water that would run by the city. And as you cross that Kidron Valley, Russ Gavitt gave me a blow-up of a picture that I took when I was in Israel. And, and as you're walking down from that garden where Jesus gathered with his disciples, you see Jerusalem in this huge valley before you. And it is a deep ravine. And it's absolutely breathtaking to see. Well, Jesus had crossed that Kidron Valley. He had come to that particular garden we call the Mount of Olives. And in that garden, he was there with his disciples purposefully because he knew that Judas would know he was there. What's the big deal about that? You remember Judas, Judas was set his heart to betray the Lord. And he was going to go and for 30 pieces of silver hand over Jesus to the, to the authorities. From the very beginning, John in his gospel describes Judas as someone who never truly believed in Jesus. He was only an opportunist who, who hung his hat near Jesus for the benefits of being near someone who promised power. The most amazing thing is that at the perfect time and at the perfect place, God was orchestrating this very event that we would call Calvary. It was not a mistake. It was not an accident. It was God's plan. It leads that and then to the second point, and that is it was an unexpected confederacy. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, if you go back and look in this text again, you will find that the people who hated each other the most are the people who wanted to kill Jesus. Have you ever heard the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? You ever heard that? Well, that's exactly what was happening. Judas, the betrayer, there's one, gathers with the Jewish authorities, that's the two, and the Roman officials, that's three. You see, the Jews hated the Romans. The Romans were oppressing them with all kinds of taxes and burdens that they hated. They hindered their worship of God. The Romans thought the Jews were this 
weird people who instead of worshiping many gods and many idols only had one god. They were inferior people according to the Romans. They deserved to be conquered and ruled. And so Rome ruled them with an iron fist. And yet it just so happens that if you look in verse 10, or I should say, excuse me, in verse in the verse that's preceding uh, after what we read in verse 3, Judas came into the garden with a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Well, why did they come? Well, they came with torches, lanterns, and weapons. Why would they need torches, lanterns, and weapons? Because they're anticipating that Jesus is going to run. It always, it always is ironic to me when people have police stop them and they become belligerent, and they decide, well, I'm going to get away. And if you've ever seen a high-speed chase, you know how horribly uh, dangerous it is for someone to get into a car and fee- flee the police, the authorities. How, how incredibly conflicted it is that we watch something like that and think, why doesn't the person just give themselves up and go through the legal means? And part of it is because they don't believe they'll have a fair legal means to follow. And so... These authorities gathered, and they gathered for the intention of expecting that Jesus and the disciples would fight. Why? Because some of the Jews believed that the Messiah would usher in a time when he would conquer the Jewish enemies. And to make sure that that was not going to happen, the Jews joined with the Romans, who had the armaments, to take Jesus down. They were expecting a battle. What they found was a man who came out to meet them from the garden and asked them, who are you expecting? Who are you looking for? And this unexpected confederacy took hold of a man who gave no resistance, none whatsoever. In fact, when Peter took out his sword and cut off the ear of the chief priest's servants, what did Jesus do? He hindered Peter from any further action. Now, why would Jesus do that? Because he loved you. There was no other way for our salvation to be worked out, to be accomplished, than by Jesus would willingly give himself. In fact, the Old Testament says he would be like a sheep led to the slaughter. Have you ever seen an animal led to slaughter? They think they're going to get their next meal. They usually think the owner will never do anything to harm them. And then at the point of the sacrifice, the knife comes out, the throat is slit, and the animal perishes. This is how Jesus portrayed himself and how he lived out this prophecy. He was like a sheep led to slaughter. It brings us to the fourth point of the, of, the, of the story that's really quite powerful, and that is the isolating denial. You know, we, we think about Judas and what a horrible person he was, and he was. He was very wicked. He betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the things we forget is that the disciples who were with Jesus betrayed him as well. The difference is they came back to him after the resurrection in repentance and faith. Judas did not. In fact, when you look at this, this isolating incident, when they had bound Jesus, 
and they were getting ready to deliver him over to the chief priests. Peter, Peter tried to take action but was hindered by Jesus. But the most amazing thing is that as that happened and Jesus was led away, Peter could not stop following Jesus. And it was not out of curiosity. It was out of hope that somehow, in some way, things would turn out the way Peter wanted it to work, which would that Christ would be spared. The most amazing thing is that while Jesus was, was being examined by the chief priests, that, that Peter was asked, aren't you one of his disciples? And he said, I am not. Let me ask you, have you ever had someone ask you, are you a Christian? Were you embarrassed to say yes? Why? I dare say Peter at that point realized that he was be, it, things were beyond his control. There was nothing he could do to fix the problem. And the only way out for him was to deny Jesus. And by denying him, he betrayed him. But also by denying him, he isolated himself as well. It goes on to say that even after the interview, that as Peter was standing outside in verse 25, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. Apparently, the other disciple who knew, and we think that was John, by the way, who knew the high priest, was able to usher Peter into an inner courtyard where people were standing. And it was there while he was warming by the fire that a woman asked again, aren't you, or a person asked again, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, I am not. You know, it's interesting to me, in the other Gospels, Jesus tells Peter, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. John only records two here for us. I've always wondered why. But in the third time that Jesus, or that Peter denied Jesus, John said, or it's not John, the other, other Gospels teach us that as Jesus was being taken out of the presence of Annas and being taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, that Peter denied him a third time and their eyes met across the courtyard. And Peter ran, crying, weeping. After the resurrection, we are not given the inside story. Do you remember Paul Harvey? You remember him? The rest of the story. Well, when I get to heaven, I want the rest of the story. You know what the rest of the story is? It says that after the resurrection, Peter and Jesus were alone. I wonder what that conversation was about. It must have been pretty inspiring because Peter followed Christ even to the cross that he himself would bear. In his latter years. No, it's, it's amazing the isolation that comes. You see, the, the truth of the matter is the isolation that Peter experienced is one that we are all tempted with. And that is to deny Jesus. In a culture that makes fun of those who follow him. It leads me to the fourth and final point of this morning's sermon. And that is the... the biased authority. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look in verse 13, when they bound Jesus, they brought him to Annas. Who is Annas? He was the high priest that was before Caiaphas. And now get this. 
For 150 years, pastors who filled pulpits in our nation were taught that this story was not true because there was no Caiaphas who was high priest. And even more so, there couldn't be two high priests at the same time. So obviously John is fabricating here a story about Jesus and his arrest. But lo and behold, just about eight years ago, a bulldozer actually fell upon and pushed over a a cave, kind of like a manhole, in the middle of a city of Jerusalem. And there, there was an ostuary, and you don't know what that is. I didn't either. had to look it up. An ostuary is where they would make these little boxes that would hold the bones of people who had been buried And they would put them in these boxes and then store them in in places of memorial for people who had passed. And there in that particular hole in the ground, they found an ostuary where, lo and behold, there was a box. And on the box was listed the name of the person whose bones were in the box. And guess who they were? Caiaphas, high priest. This story is not a fabrication. It is an amplification. What's it amplifying? That when Jesus went to the cross and he died for your sins, his arrest was not an injustice, though it was unjust. It was the plan of God to bring forth the Lamb of God into the world who would bear your sins on the cross. Amazing, isn't it? And yet, these men who condemned him, get this. These men who condemned him, he died for them as well. What does the Bible say? It says that Christ died for all sin. And if they had turned and repented and believed in Christ, they too would have been forgiven. But unfortunately, they didn't. The first sermon that Peter preaches and found in Acts. Do you know what he says? After the Holy Spirit begins to come and, and, and empower the disciples and help them understand the meaning of the resurrection, Peter stands up and he boldly says, My friends, this Jesus whom you crucified, and he's talking to all the Jews who are in the city, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead and now made him both Lord and Christ. And the church was born from that sermon to include, get this, Jews. Most likely Pharisees who had been a part of the crucifixion. Why is this story so important? It's important for two reasons. One, it tells us that what Christ did on the cross was purposeful that it was God's plan to deliver him for you. Because you, unable to change your situation, you were a bondservant to the, to the slave of sin. You were under its authority. You could not change your condition. You could not please God. You could not know God. You could not honestly tell anyone that you were a righteous person according to God's holy standard. 
And in the midst of that lostness, of that separation that you had in, in that, that former way of life when you were separated by, from God from your sins, God in his great solution to our problem sent Christ purposefully to be that sacrifice. Why? Because without, Deuteronomy says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Have you thought about that? Without the shedding, without someone paying a penalty for sin, there can be no forgiveness. There had to be one who God would send who would be sinless and be faultless and give himself for us, that he would pay that penalty for you and for me. And in so doing, then God could receive you as you come to him in repentance and faith and not count your sins against you anymore. Did you know that? Paul writes in Colossians, he says that through this great work of the cross, God has qualified you to inherit with all the saints. I love that. I love that. I've not been qualified for anything. Even for a loan. Forget it. But the most amazing thing in my detriment of my life, in my inca incapability of pleasing God, Christ made it possible for me to stand before God the Father blameless and holy. You ever wonder? You ever wonder what people think of you? Ever wonder? I've asked people that before. I would, I would get a picture and I would ask people, uh, you ever wonder what people think of you? And everybody say, yeah, what do people think of me? And I said, I've got some good news for you. They don't think about you at all. But we think about ourselves constantly, don't we? If I were to give you a picture this morning of this group here and I'd say, what do you think of this picture? Who would be the first person you'd look for? You. The truth of the matter is the only person who truly loves you is Jesus. You will never know love, ever know love, until you know the love of Christ. He was falsely accused. He was unjustly arrested. He never opened his mouth. Why? Because he loves you. And he knew the only way to recover you from your lostness into sin was to go to the cross. Kind of reminds me of a song. Oh, how he loves you and me. Yeah, sing it with me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he 
tremendous love cannot be held by us without changing us. And the more you know of that love, the more you do not want to be a sinner. You can try to do it on your own by being good, but you'll never, ever find satisfaction. The only way that you will find satisfaction is by coming to Jesus and receiving from him the gifts that he gives. Forgiveness, redemption, justification, and your sanctification. That's why this table is sped for you. I'm going to invite Logan to come and lead us as we commune with the Lord. Let us worship him. So I want to